This morning we are going to be preaching to your hearts and to my heart. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. I want to read a devotion to you that I found in the Daily Bread. I like to read the devotionals. And it says, a plane ride was about to get bumpy. The captain interrupted the flight in service beverage and service and asked passengers to make sure their seatbelts were fastened. Soon the plane began to roll and the pitch like a ship on a wind-whip ocean. While the rest of the passengers were doing their best to deal with the turbulence, a little girl sat through it all reading her book. After the plane landed, she was asked why she had been able to be so calm, and this was her response. My daddy is the pilot. He's taking me home. Happy Father's Day to you fathers, but let me say to fathers, mothers, grandparents here today, that in order for your children to find their way, you must be on the right way. Let your conscience be your guide. I believe that you and I need to understand that uh, we've been preaching here. This is my first coming into that series, and this is my part of the puzzle that I want to lay out before you. And we've been preaching and hearing it preached about God is at work. It does work when my conscience works right. Whenever my conscience becomes a muck and gets messed up, then God can't work in my life like he wants to effectively. I know sometimes in our lives, someone mentioned this to me between services, and they said, you know, around around this uh, time of, of this world, a lot of people don't pay attention and don't even understand the aspect of conscience. Well, I want us to understand that our conscience is, and I brought my show and tell today, this is what... I would like to also bridge that and say God's positioning system. Every one of you have been equipped with a GPS. It's your conscience. And that's giving me the ability, and that's where we heard that old phrase years ago, let your conscience what be your guide. You and I as individuals, God has equipped us with that conscience. Now, I want us to look in in uh, Acts chapter 24, verse number 16, and I'll go over here and look instead of turning. And it, it tells us very clearly, so I strive always, Paul says, to keep my conscience clear before God and man. This was his code that he lived by. This was his code of integrity. It was his desire that he could lay his head on his pillow lay his head in in a prison cell and know that his conscience is good with God and his conscience is good with man. And that was his objective. And I'm convinced, and I I didn't say this first service, but I will tell you this, when you got that going on in your life, you got peace. When you got that going on in your life, then, you know, you've got joy. You know, I thank God for GPSs because it takes the stress out of, am I really going to get lost here? Well, you know, that thing knows where I'm not, I don't know, but it knows. You know, and God is the same way. When he allows our conscience. 
Christians to be impressed and led, all of a sudden we begin to rest and have peace in Him because we know that He's going to take us home. Let me say again to us, and I, you know, I've got a little bit of time. I was pushed for time this morning. But I want to just stress this to parents, grandparents, that we need like never before for our kids to be able to say that my parents, my grandparents, they, they know they, they've got their mess together and they're going in the right direction. You know, we realize that sometimes that as it is that God's positioning system, I, I want us to understand something here. Uh, probably Tuesday morning, I'll be coming right down 23, coming up to a traffic light here. And at that traffic light, uh, that's where I pick up 322. And I'll have my GPS on because I want to get to a place called Radnor to go to a restaurant over there to do my job. And it's an amazing thing. I get in my car and that thing starts telling me when I turn and go down 322. It keeps telling me all the way through Honeybrook, I need to get over to 23. Here's a road, take that road. I keep going. Here's a road, take that road. And I just keep going. It isn't until I finally get to a place past Honeybrook, it finally says to me, all right, then, get on 30 and go. And I get on 30, make my way over there, and, you know, that's a lot like Rodney at times. And I tell you what, I can kind of... I can kind of deviate from my GPS, but I have learned in my experience, my God positioning system that's in me. When I try to go it my way, every time, I mess up. Because His way is always the right way. My way usually ends me in a mess. And that's why it is so important for you and I as individuals to come into that place of saying, okay, God, let me be alert to that. Don't let me ignore what it is that you're doing and working within my life. Paul made this his code to live by, but I will tell you this, that it was his desire for his son Timothy and the Lord to continue in this same code. But before you sit there today and say within your heart, and I've got all the scriptures in here right now, so don't, don't sit there and say, well, he's not preaching to me because that has nothing to do with me. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2, and I want you to see this. The Word of God says, rather we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, to setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to notice this, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. you got one. You might as well tell yourself you got one because the Word says you got one. You got a conscience. And that's what I want to talk to today, and that's where I want to address it because I believe that our conscience is so, so vital for God to be able to do a work in, his, in each and every one of our lives. I, young people were in this service tonight, today, and I realized that you need at an early age to become sensitive to your conscience. You need to begin to put yourself in a place to say, God, I want you to show me. And he may not speak in a visible voice, but your conscience can be sensitive. No, I, I don't feel I should be doing that. You know, be, be sensitive to that. Let me move a little bit further because the word, like I said, I made you very, I'm, I'm like, I stood right there and I've been praying all morning. I said, God, people, don't let people hear the words of this preacher. Let them hear the word of God so that lives will be changed. What I say, my words will just kind of go out there and drop. 
that his words are eternal. Those things just keep getting up. They're new every morning, and they will minister and work in your life. And there's some things that I want to show you today in the Word of God and in, in the life of Timothy as Paul writes that letter, what, the, what a conscience really looks like. What a conscience really looks like. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but it's, it's not something that I can put out, well, here's my GPS. Well, I can touch, feel, and see that of my conscience. I, I can't lay a finger on it. But what does a conscience look like? Let's go into First Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5, and we realize that in that word, it's there before us. The goal is the command is to love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. These are the active ingredients that make up your conscience. This is what makes your conscience, this is what makes it function. It's kind of like when I was a kid and my mom would make bread. I loved to make bread with mom. The part I liked is when she put the yeast in and then she covered with a wet towel. And then it would sit there for a little bit and then it rise up. And I got the, I dared smack that thing. Let out all my frustrations, pull and jerk and twist and get. And she, okay, okay, that's enough, son. And uh, she put it back down. She did it a couple times. It was fun. Well, the fact is, there are active ingredients that in your conscience has to be there. You and I, as individuals, need to see the love of God working in us. We need a pure heart. We need a good conscience and a sincere faith. You put all of these together. That's what your conscience looks like. There, there are people with messed up, jacked up conscience. Yeah, they're out there. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, so don't worry. The fact of the matter is, this is what it, this is the picture of what it looks like, or this should be our goal. This should be something when you're driving down the road or you're putting your head on the pillow to go to sleep. Say, God, let me, let me have love. Let me have that sincere faith. God, let me have that pure heart. God, give me a good conscience. Make this our objective to allow these ingredients to work in us so that the GPS in us positioning system allows me to get where I need to go. And I'll be telling you here and now, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us, and he wants to get you there. And I believe that as God works in us, it's our conscience that helps us to travel in the right direction. Put verse 6 up there. I want to just kind of see what Paul's got to say here in a minute. He says, some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. The word says there that some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. That means... Idle talk, that means also uh, confessions, people, what they believe, their confessions. And I want to stress and carry that a little bit further, their opinions. See, these things, when, you know, it's, you need to understand we're going to move to the next thing, and that's in verse 19 of the same chapter. But the fact of the matter is, people and their opinions, people and their confessions, people and their idle talk can dismantle your GPS that God has in you. And if you're not careful, have you ever been in a situation, have you ever been, I, I know what I'm talking about, have you been around somebody that you say, God, get me out of here because everything they say, it's going, you, you haven't remember me. Remember, um, Charlie, no, it's uh, not Charlie Brown. It's the guy, the little bear that eats the honey. Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. 
everywhere you go, he has this cloud over his head at 4 Eeyore. It's going to, you know, they say it's a wonderful day. I don't think so. I think it's going to rain. Have you ever been around? And so I'm going to tell you, you get around those kind of people or you get around people with ugly foul language all the time that they, every other word they don't, if they, they would cut their conversation in half, they take the cuss words out, but they got to fill them in. That's just what makes it work. And you get around all of that, and after a while, you stay in that environment. And I promise you this: your GPS is going to mess up. You're not. It's going to. It's going to become tainted. It's going to become uh, infected, and it's not going to function like God wants it to. Because God, and let me stress again, God wants to do a perfect work in your life. Okay, now let's let's dig deeper. It's not going to get you know. May not get to, to get the, the, the ride may get rough like that little girl, but we're going to land this thing. First Timothy chapter one, verse number nineteen. Word of God says this: holding on to the faith, a good conscience, which some, and I want you to see this, some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. See, you you are in control of your conscience. Don't, you know, old Flip Wilson used to come out there on laughing and saying, these kids don't even know what I'm talking about. And he used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil ain't making you do nothing. You decide if you're going to reject your conscience or whether you're going to keep a good conscience. It isn't anybody. Quit playing that blame game. Don't put the blame on the devil. He gets too much credit anyway. In and out of the church, my conscience has to be right on. Let me just say that. In and out of the church, your conscience needs to be right on target. It isn't something that you're playing games with and guessing and fine-tuning. It needs to be right on. Why? Because we continually engage people who practice rejecting their conscience. And they will give you a steady diet of their junk. As long as you keep listening, as long as you buy into it, as long as you trail in their direction. Brother Weed was right. He stood up there today and he says, but as for me, see, it's a choice that you make, but as for me, I'm going God's way. I don't care which way you go. Go after those items. pastoring in Petersburg, West Virginia. We had an old timer there. His name was Brother Hancock. He was 85 years old when I met him, and he was a spit class. When he came time for testimony service, that bird didn't stand up in the back and testify. He tucked those thumbs in his jacket. He marched up to the front. He laid it out there to him and told him what Jesus had done for him. The first, he, was the, he was the town drunk of, of Petersburg. Heard the pastor of that church on a Saturday at BFW to give the message, and he came to church, got saved. He's walking halfway down the aisle, and he heard two women say, I wonder how long it's going to last. See, that's a, that's, a, that's a conscience that's been rejected. You've got that garbage in the church. I'm not saying Lighthouse has got it. 
But I'm saying you're going to encounter that people that name the name of Jesus have rejected certain entities of their conscience to where the is it's misfiring. There is nothing worse than going down the road in a car that's missing. And brother, if you can't rely on that the GPS to be as accurate as what it can be, you've got problems. See, you need to be able to say, my conscience is good because I have already eliminated. I've taken out of my life. I refuse to take it in and accept it. I want my conscience to be good. So if they want to reject their conscience, and, and, and what that is is a glorified excuse so that they can get by and do stuff that they know they shouldn't be doing, but they're doing it anyway. And they've been able to just reject their contact. It's okay. You know, and you know what you know what the deal is here? I, I think Brother So and so does it so I can uh, maybe God has called you to something else. Maybe he's taking you down another road that Brother So and so isn't on. Let me just say this. We are not all on the same level of maturity. I can dress you all up as, as, as followers and put three-piece suits on you walking here. And all of you look like penguins at the beach. But I tell you what, you're different, every one of you. And you're at a different level with God growing and developing. And if you're looking, that's why Paul said it's an ungodly and unhealthy thing. He didn't say ungodly idea. But it's an unhealthy thing to compare yourself one to the other. You start doing that, you know, uh-uh. You know what happens when you start comparing yourself to somebody on the highway? You usually sideswipe them. Because you're given to go that way. Keep your eye on where your destination is. Because you're going to rub elbows with people in the church and out of the church that have rejected their conscience to do whatever dastardly thing they want to do. And they'll make you feel, and I just say this, just about that far. All right, now, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars. I'm not writing this, folks. I didn't set up all right write this. Whose conscience have been seared with a hot iron. Let me explain that to you. We don't got that much going on around here. We got surgeons now. Civil War. Pioneer days, cowboys happen to get their arm caught in something and rip it off to the elbow, and they're standing there and they can't attach the arm and the blood's coming out. They'll put a tourniquet around it. The next thing they do is they get a hot rod or iron or a piece of hot, cold, you know, hot red wood, stick it on that, put a piece of wood in their teeth so they can bite down on it, and they burn and cauterize you cut that off, you're getting my drift, the blood's flowing, I was there. And they go ahead and burn those vessels so the bleeding will stop, and then the guy's got a stub, or she's got a stub of her arm, but she's still living and breathing. There are some people within the church, this is who Paul, put verse number one up there. There it is, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Some people don't even believe there are demons. I believe there's demons and devils all over the place. We are living in the last days. 
we are going to see more and more people that has their conscience completely obliterated and there's no sense at all. You can, I've had them sit in my church services. The spirit and the power of God came down in the anointing and conviction. And they can sit there and hear the word of God preached like there is no tomorrow and turn and walk out of that service not affected by it one bit. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. You've got people in your family you can talk to, you're blue in the face. And it's not going to make any inroads. And you need to be careful that you don't give up, but you stay the course and allow God to help you to make it all. I'm telling you, they're there. And it's going to get worse out on the public scene. There are going to be things out there where nobody even goes. They have burned it off so that they can have and go according to their own lust. I told her that a bulldog is a spiritual male slave. And I feel for our young boys as they're growing up. This is where I'm at. When I was 15 years old, I liked to look at pretty girls. Yeah, oh man, it's a good looking girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. These young kids coming along now, they don't know what they're looking at. Oh, they say, man, that's a pretty girl. Walking away from the boy. Sudden, you get on up there. You take that second look and you say, Oh my God, that's a boy. Can you imagine how messed up the minds of our kids are going to be? You may not like me, but what I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to tell you. If there ever was a time that we need parents and grandparents that have a good conscience, a pure conscience, that will stand for what is right, where our children know where they can run. It's a safe house to where our parents can, I can go to them, and I know they're going to shoot straight, and they're not going to try to mess with my mind. Because there's a bunch of junk going out there because why? got people that stand in our colleges. We got it at our high school. We got people that you work with. Their conscience has been seared. They see nothing wrong with nothing and they live that lifestyle. You want to do all the things you want most of the time. Because I'm passionate about it. You could go down here and watch a Phillies game or go watch the Pittsburgh Steelers play and, and you take you up there to that field, you're going to scream and holler and act like totally nuts. Why can't we come into the house of God and get excited for the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're living in perilous times. Consciences, there is not anymore. You need to be able to say, God, give me that good conscience. I still desire that now. How can I keep my conscience? Stir it and study it. Second uh, Timothy chapter one, verse number six, put it up there. I'm, you think I preach a false doctrine till the word comes up. For this reason I remind you to fan the flame. 
the gift of God. That word fan means to stir. Fire it up. Get it going. Stir it. Every one of you has been gifted. You've got the gift of conscience in you. You stir it up. I don't know how to cook too much. I can fry a hamburger and it could be a man. I tell you, if you I can eat it. No one else might, but I will. I can throw soup in there and put all kind of stuff in it. And it's good for me. It may not be good for you. Hallelujah. But one of the things I've learned in stirring, if you don't stir it, it's going to stick and it's going to burn. And it's not going to be worth a hoot. Some of you in this house, it's when, when was the last time you stirred your gift? When was the last time you've let come into the house of God and say, God, stir me up? Let it happen. God, I'm ready for it. Hit me with your best shot. No, like I told some of them in the first service, I said, like the black preacher said, he said, my crowd, many of them will tell me at DOA, dead on arrival. They set through church, DOA, dead on arrival. They walk out the house of God, heading into a sin-cursed world, dead on arrival. I don't know why God don't move in me. Well, have you stirred it up lately? You know what I'm talking about. You that are married, you know exactly what it is that you can say to stir her up. You know, honey, what it is when he walks through the door, that look and that thing that you say to him that just cranks his tractor and sends him into orbit. Stir him up. Oh, I'm single. Well, get out on 222 and drive. You'll get stirred up. But we won't stir our gifts up that God has given us. You know how to do that. Grown men stand in professional locker rooms, jumping up and down. Boom, 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 boom. Then they run out in the field about kill themselves. Um, church, let's take time to be holy. Stir it up. If not, it's going to stick and burn. Word of God says there in the New King James Version, it says, be diligent. In uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, I know it. It says, do your best to present yourself one approved un- a worker that needs not be ashamed. That word I learned in Bible college study to be your to show yourself a good under God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Be approved by God in the study. Go not approved by man. Study to show yourself approved to God. Be approved. Does God approve you of your word study of his Bible? Is he happy with you? Or does your Bible get dusted with the rest of the coffee table? See, the, I had a fellow that his name was Richard Harden there working for Amazon in Lynchburg, eight uh, nuclear energy. And the uh, civilian side of it. And he said, Pastor, computers, garbage in and garbage out. Whatever garbage you put in, garbage is going to come out of it. You put good stuff in, good stuff's coming out of it. I'm not preaching on computers, but I'm preaching on the fact that your conscience, however good your conscience is, is how good it's going to help and lead and guide you in the right direction. And that's only going to come by the resources that you give your conscience to work off of, and that's the Word of God. Is the only verse that you know in the Bible, John 3.16? When they call for us to turn to the book of Revelation, do you go to Genesis? I know I'm going to touch on something here that may be a little sensitive, but we got some guys that know their union manual better than they do the Bible. You know, we know 
that's why study to show yourself approved. You know why? Because you got people following you. They're watching your lead. They're watching your guide. I want to talk just a minute about the fruit of your conscience. And this is probably something you never thought of. Maybe, maybe we got some. No, wait a minute. I'm talking to a brilliant group of people here. You've already thought about it. The fruit of conscience is shame and guilt. The fruit of conscience is shame and guilt. In the book of Psalms, 51, the fruit of guilt, David writes about that. That's when he got caught in that affair with Bathsheba. Nathan points his finger at him in his face and said, you're the man. He says, I know I am. I've sinned against God. He was guilty. But that guilt was able to turn him back to God. Because, let me just say this, that was astounding when I reread that and, and God just let that pop out at me. He says, God, when you get done fixing it, cleaning me up, he says, then I'll teach others. Boy, that's a bold statement. I wouldn't even want to show my face in public. But he says, I'll get in front of people and I'll tell them about things. I'll teach them. I'm like, wow. That's what guilt will do for you. See, we always think about guilt as nasty, terrible. Yeah, it is because you're knee-deep in a bunch of junk. But if you're, if you're not knee-deep in a bunch of junk, but guilt's telling you don't go there, you get close to it and you feel that, and you just say, no, uh, no. I feel guilty. I, I've got a wife at home. Honey, I'm sorry, but you've got to go to the next house down. Guilt has a positive effect in bringing our conscience back to where it should be. It's when we ignore that guilt and plunge deeper and deeper and deeper in it. Then we get mad at it. And God said, I put that there for a reason, to get you out of the mess you're in, that you keep wanting like a fake to a slop hole. You want to keep going back to it. The fruit of shame, there's that right there in Revelation 16. Behold, I am coming as a thief. These are the words of our Savior in Revelation. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. There is no shame in America. They have, tr they have worked and worked effectively to move our morals to the point that whatever you want to do, there's nothing in the role. You just go out and do it. And if anybody objects, they're the crazy people. They're the nuts. They're, oh, you know, and they'll push you, and they'll make you feel about that tall because you're standing there. And let me just say this. Paul, in one of his writings, says that in the last days, you just remember this. In the last days, good is going to be spoken of as evil, and evil is going to be spoken of as good. So you might as well just set, set yourself and say, this is what's going to happen. It's there, but Jesus said, I'm coming as a thief. And he says, that if you're naked and see the shame, where does that go? That goes all the way back to Genesis. And he looks at it and he says, well, uh, Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? That shame has been planted inside of you for a purpose. So that your conscience will help you to steer you away from a hell that is destined for the damned. Wow. He said it. Yeah, we don't say hell in church, but the world says it every other word. Preachers don't preach about hell. Oh, yeah, that may offend, but it's not offending them. They're when they're rubbing elbows, working side by side, and cussing up a storm. I don't know what I'm talking about. 
we sung this song this morning, and then I kind of wind this down. It says, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No one can compare your living hope, your presence, your I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free. This is the underline. And my shame becomes undone. My shame becomes undone. He can fix that shame. And it's undone, and it's only in your presence. In your presence. It's there for a reason. It's not there because, well, God wants to make you squirm and sweat beads come down your face and you're just, oh my God. That guilt and that shame is the fruit of your conscience trying to warn you. Please, get it back in line. Stay the course. Don't deviate from that because it's going to take you down the wrong way. And all you'll have is regret. You think God will still want me if I mess up? Yes, He will still want you. He will still love you. He still desires to have you there. He wants to spare you as much pain and as much hurt and as much remorse that this world has to give simply by letting your conscience be your God. As you just begin to let it lead you, God will begin to work in you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. Proverbs. God sees that, and He wants to guide you, and He wants to work in you. Everything Pastor Richie and the other pastors have preached about these are the workings of God, yes, but if your conscience isn't free and clear of all of the garbage, then it will not work. You will find yourself totally lost and twisted. But if you allow yourself to have a good conscience with God, you'll end up, like the little girl said, my father's turbulence, rock and plane, and my daddy's taking me home. Daddy's here to take me home today. So let me leave you. You'll keep that good conscience. I didn't come into this service today to beat anybody up. I've just come by to throw you a life for million. I've come to try my best to say keep your conscience good and pure. But I wonder in this moment of time, is there anybody in this house that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? And you'll have by the uplifted hand and say, I want to get myself where I need to be. I need to get it back on the road of righteousness, Pastor. God's talking to you. Through everything that you're going through, God's talking to you. Father God, I come against every work of darkness. I plead the blood of Jesus in this building. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would come, that you would work, and you would minister. Now, there are those in this place right now that you're dealing with, but they just are not ready to step up and to step forward. I understand that. But God, I'm so glad you don't stop working on us. I'm glad, God, that you still lead us. And I pray, God, that you would so help us today as adults, as parents, as grandparents, that we would live our lives in good conscience, 
I pray for these young people that are seated all over this building today. God, let their conscience stay good and pure before you, that God the enemy doesn't get a hold of them and wreck their lives. I pray the blood of Jesus over them, Lord, right now. In Jesus' name. 